Hello, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage podcast. For those who are listening for the first time, my name is JD. I blog at sexwithinmarriage.com, and I write about married sexuality from a Christian perspective. I'm also a Christian marriage coach, and you can check out my practice at anonymousmarriagecoaching.com. Today, we're going to talk a bit about uh, the difference in views about sex between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, because I think that something horrible happened when Judaism kind of turned into Christianity or Christianity split off from Judaism, whatever way you want to say it. Uh, during my studies a few years ago, uh, I was trying to learn Hebrew to kind of help with my Bible reading. Uh, I, I honestly didn't get very far, although I'd love to pick it up again. But one of the things I kind of stumbled across was the whole kind of Jewish viewpoint of of sex and sexuality, especially within marriage, and how that was so radically different from the Christian view uh, throughout most of history. So I thought today I'd share some of that. Uh, I go through this a bit in my course for Christian wives uh, called Becoming More Sexually Engaged, and a lot of the women say that they are shocked by how different kind of the traditional Jewish view of sex is compared to kind of the Christian traditional view of sex. So I thought I might share uh, some of these little kind of tidbits with you on today's episode. One of the things I saw uh, from a website called www.jewfaq.com, they had this quote that, in Jewish law, sex is not considered shameful, sinful, or obscene. Sex is not thought of as a necessary evil for the sole purpose of procreation. And that kind of speaks directly against uh, the old traditional kind of Christian, especially Catholic view of sex, that sex is uh, solely intended for procreation and you shouldn't have sex if you're not intending to bear children from it. And I know that view is changing lately uh in the past, oh, I don't know, decade, couple of decades. But for the majority of uh, Christian history, uh, that's been the prevailing viewpoint, that sex is kind of like this, this necessary evil, this sin that we have to put up with in order to bear children. Uh, there are many people who have claimed that Adam and Eve's sin was having sex. Not that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that that was a euphemism for having sex. And so them having sex was what, you know, turned all of creation, uh, sinful. But of course, you know, that, that allegory doesn't really work. If eating from a tree is a euphemism for sex, then we have a problem because, uh, the tree of life, uh, exists in Revelation at the end times, and after all is said and done, it will be there for the feeding and the healing of nations. You know, people are going to be eating from this tree, and if that's the case, then uh, everybody in heaven's going to be having sex, which is supposedly sinful uh, in this allegory. So this just doesn't kind of stand up. It doesn't work. But I think a lot of this was influenced kind of by Greek mythology uh, and dualism, and this this teaching. Uh, that existed at the time of kind of when Christianity sprung up. Uh, and it, a lot of things in culture at that time, they got adopted into Christianity and they, 
it changed a lot of the thinking, so much so that a lot of it goes directly against the Bible. And it's not only to do with sexuality, but uh, a lot of things about teaching, you know, what is uh, a spirit and a soul and uh, all these things. Because the teaching at the time uh, was this idea that, you know, the body is bad, that fleshly things are bad, that the physical world is is kind of dirty and it's just there to distract you from the more spiritual world, which is good, and that your soul is good and your soul wants to go to heaven, but your body is what's trying to drag you down to hell. And so then this adopted into this idea that, well, then anything that we do with the body must be kind of evil as well. And of course, then sex becomes this evil thing that distracts us from the spiritual goodness of, of kind of the spiritual realm. But in the Bible, we don't see this. There is no separation between, you know, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Uh, instead, they're very uh, much integrated. We see in Genesis 2 verse 7 that, uh, says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that man became a living soul. You know, Genesis teaches us right from the beginning that uh, a man is the spirit of God plus this earthly body, and the two of them together, that's what makes, that what, that's what makes us a soul, a living being. And so, Right from the beginning, we're taught that, you know, we are body and we are spirit. You know, it, 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 there's no separation. You know, if you take one away, the whole thing falls apart. You know, and then God looked at this whole thing. He looked at this integrated package and said, you know, this is very good. You know, he didn't say, oh, well, the spirit that I put in it, that's good. But this body, well, that was just a garbage container I found and that's what I had to work with. No, he said, you know, this whole thing, was good and I made it. And not only is it good, but it, it's good in the sense that it's aesthetically pleasing, but also functional. You know, he was saying that every part of it, you know, it works perfectly. And that was right from the start. Before sin had entered the world, before man fell, that was where we started with. And so somehow along the way, we kind of broke this idea that, you know, our physical bodies, they're good things. They're just as good as our spiritual kind of sense. And in fact, you can't separate the two of them. Um, even throughout the entire Bible, you know, humans never exist without a body. There are a lot of very confused teachings in Christianity that say that, oh, well, when we die, then our spirit goes up to heaven. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of these are based on, uh, Greek mythology, and they're based on this idea of uh, dualism, you know, these teachings that, you know, the soul of uh, the dead will travel to, like, the Elysian fields or to purgatory or uh, to all these places. You know, these these are uh, creations of mythology that existed at the time of, like, the Greeks and the Romans. And they kind of got adopted into Christianity. And it really messes up with our view of who we are and what is good and what is not. Whereas in the Bible, we see that humans are, if they don't have a body, then they no longer exist. You know, they, they, they cease to be, you know, we go from an corruptible body to an incorruptible body. There's no middle stage where we're just kind of floating around as a spirit because that, that doesn't, 
happen. We, we, we are this wholly integrated entity. And so Christians have done this kind of horrible injustice to us as God's creation. Uh, and we keep saying things that like sex is bad or sex is dirty or sex is naughty or, uh, all these kind of negative connotations. We teach our kids, you know, don't have sex. Uh, sex is evil and, you know, wait. And we never get around to telling them that, no, sex is amazing within the right context. And you should wait to have sex so that it can be better later. You know, it's really hard for them to transition from, hey, don't have sex at all to, hey, now you're married, forget everything we ever told you about sex. You know, we spend like the first 20, sometimes 30 years of a person's life trying to squash their sexuality. And then all of a sudden when they're married, they're expected to rebound and completely switch gears. And this has been going on for a long time. You know, throughout the ages, you know, sex got uh, so much kind of bad press that at one point there were only 44 days of the year that you were allowed to have sex according to the church. Outside of those 44 days, it was considered a sin because they had outlawed sex on Sunday. They had outlawed sex on feast days, on saints' birthdays, on the 40 days of fasting, on pretty much anything. You know, Fridays you couldn't because that's when Jesus died. And all these events, you know, they said, oh, you can't have sex because sex is is a bad thing. It's a necessary evil, but you should be focusing on good things instead. And by contrast, Judaism has a very different view of it. Uh, and there's, you know, on the Sabbath, you were encouraged to have sex. You know, it's considered a, a mitzvah. It's kind of like a blessing and a good deed mixed together. And that kind of teaching, like that, that embodies really a lot of the, their perspective on sex. Whereas in Christianity, we were basically outlawing it, except on certain days. Uh, and then only for procreation. Uh, in Judaism, they were making rules that said, well, no, you should have sex and this is how often you should be having sex. And you have to make sure that it's good for your spouse. And, you know, those were the kind of rules that they were making to promote better, healthier sex lives and being sex positive. Uh, whereas in Christianity, we went so sex negative that by the Victorian era, era people were putting uh, pant legs on furniture so that nobody would accidentally look at it and be aroused by the legs of the furniture because it might look too much like a human leg. You know, that that is the kind of the extent of the twistedness of our view of sex, sexuality in Christianity. And like I said, it's slowly changing, uh, but we have a long ways to go. So how do we fix this? Uh, I think first we have to stop telling people, we have to stop telling our kids and everybody else, don't have sex. Instead, we need to change it to wait to have sex. You know, we, we can't go around telling everybody that sex is bad and sex is evil. You know, we have to change it to sex is awesome and amazing within the right context. You know, I, I once, I remember having a teacher in Christian high school telling us that sex isn't really that good. And 
you know, either he was lying or he, he was doing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, from my perspective, sex is, is really that good. And we need to drop this idea that sex is taboo and that is dirty and that it's something we can't talk about. You know, sex is this amazingly God created activity between a husband and wife. And he designed it and he made it and he said it was good. And when we call it something bad or we call it dirty, we're saying that our creator created something wrong and something broken and something sinful. And that's just wrong on so many levels. Now, in fact, I find that sex is probably the easiest barometer to see how a marriage is doing. It is extremely rare to find a marriage on the rocks that is having frequent sex. You know, and it's just as rare to see a solid marriage that rarely enjoys sex. Um, I'm not saying that they you should start <laughs> walking up to your neighbors and asking them how often they have sex and how is their sex lives. Uh, but with your close friends and with your accountability partners, you know, I think it should be okay to say, Hey, how's it going? How is your marriage? You know, how is your sex life? You know, some people you can do that with, uh, maybe not all of them. Our culture, especially in Christianity, isn't quite there yet. Uh, but there are a few guys in church that I know I could walk up to and ask them, Hey, how's your marriage? How's your sex life? And, uh, they might look at me funny, but I think they'd probably answer me truthfully. Now, I should point out that if somebody starts asking you about your sex life, don't say anything that your spouse would not be comfortable with you sharing. Um, and lastly, I think we need to start preaching more about marriage and sexuality within marriage from the pulpit. I know some churches are starting. I know some of my listeners and readers, they're pastors, and they are trying to push into this. Um, but they are few and far between. And I know it's hard. Uh, I'm wanting to preach a sermon on sex. Uh, the idea honestly terrifies me and excites me. I can't wait to do it. Uh, but I'm not a pastor. I only get to preach about once a year. And my pastor knows that that's the topic I want to preach on yet, so I might not get an invitation for a few years. Uh, we'll see. But I think to do it in small groups within church, I think that's definitely more doable. You know, to get like 10, 20 people together for uh, a marriage class, uh, maybe where one of you isn't teaching, but maybe just facilitating. For us, we went through the book Intimacy Ignited a few years ago with uh, four other couples. And we had an absolute blast uh, talking about sexuality within marriage. And yeah, it was awkward for the first few weeks, but by the end of the 10-week session, we weren't stumbling over words like sex anymore. And we were actually starting to talk about it and starting to uh, share like important things that uh, people needed to share and people needed to uh, see other perspectives on. And that was really amazing to see and be a part of. And lastly, I think we need to pray about this. And a lot of people feel very squeamish praying about sex. I, I think that's probably where we need to start. As if we can't talk to God about sex, we're going to have a lot harder of a time talking to anybody else about it. You know, we have to get over this idea that God think sex is bad. 
and instead realizing realize that he made it to be amazing. So those are my thoughts on sort of where we went wrong when Christianity was kind of being formed and in the intervening time. In other news, uh, we just launched a new product on our website. Uh, it's a printable of 50 kind of sexy coupons that you can give to your spouse, especially if your spouse is of the higher sex drive variety. Uh, giving these coupons to a low sex drive spouse may not be the right way to go. But for those of you who are the lower drive spouse and you're looking for, you know, birthday gifts or Father's Day or Mother's Day or uh, Valentine's, Christmas, well, it's a while till Christmas, but and we just passed Valentine's Day. But some of these other things are coming up. Uh, anniversaries too. These might make the perfect gift. Uh, it's 50 different coupons, so you can pick from a whole bunch of different ones. And you don't have to give the whole thing to them. You can pick and choose which ones you want. Right now, we've got it on sale for $5 just as a kind of new product launch sale. Check it out if it's something you're interested in. And if you have a question that you'd like to see answered on the pod... No. If you have a question that you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can go to sexwithinmarriage.com slash podcast. There is a an anonymous form there that you can fill out and ask a question, and I will do my best to answer them on the podcast. Or you can always uh, message me on Facebook. You can email me at sexwithinmarriage at gmail.com. Uh, you can direct message me on Twitter at sexinmarriage or any other way that you can get a message to me, I will do my best to answer you. So I hope you have a wonderful week. Check out our challenge for this week on the blog, and we'll talk to you again with a new episode next Wednesday.